chapter two of crusaders of new france by william bennett monroe this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two a voyageur of brittany the closing quarter of the fifteenth century in europe has usually been regarded by historians as marking the end of the middle ages the era of feudal chaos had drawn to a close and states were being welded together under the leadership of strong dynasties with this consolidation came the desire for expansion for acquiring new lands and for opening up new channels of influence spain portugal and england were first in the field of active exploration searching for stores of precious metals and for new routes to the coasts of ormuz and of india in this quest for a short route to the half-fabulous empires of asia they had literally stumbled upon a new continent which they had made haste to exploit france meanwhile was dissipating her energies on spanish and italian battlefields it was not until the peace of cambrai in fifteen hundred and twenty-nine ended the struggle with spain that france gave any attention to the work of gaining some foothold in the new world by that time spain had become firmly entrenched in the lands which border the caribbean sea her galleons were already bearing home their rich cargoes of silver bullion portugal england and even holland had already turned with zeal to the exploration of new lands in the east and the west french fishermen it is true were lengthening their voyages to the west every year now the rugged old norman and breton seaports were sending their fleets of small vessels to gather the harvests of the sea but official france took no active interest in the regions towards which they went five years after the peace of cambrai the breton port of st malo became the starting-point of the first french voyageur to the st lawrence francis i had been persuaded to turn his thoughts from gaming and gallantries to the trading prospects of his kingdom with the result that in fifteen hundred and thirty four jacques cartier was able to set out on his first voyage of discovery cartier is described in the records of the time as a corsair which means that he had made a business of roving the seas to despoil the enemies of france st malo his birthplace and home on the coast of brittany faces the english channel somewhat south of jersey the nearest of the channel islands the town is set on high ground which projects out into the sea forming an almost landlocked harbour where ships may ride at ease during the most tumultuous gales it had long been a notable nursery of hardy fishermen and adventurous navigators men who had pressed their way to all the coasts of europe and beyond cartier was one of these hardy sailors his fathers before him had been mariners and he had himself learned the way of the great waters while yet a mere youth before his expedition of fifteen hundred and thirty four jacques cartier had probably made a voyage to brazil and had in all probability more than once visited the newfoundland fishing-banks 
although when he sailed from st malo to become the pathfinder of a new bourbon imperialism he was forty-three years of age and in the prime of his days we know very little of his youth and early manhood it is enough that he had attained the rank of a master pilot and that from his skill in seamanship he was considered the most dependable man in all the kingdom to serve his august sovereign in this important enterprise cartier shipped his crew at st malo and on the twentieth of april fifteen hundred and thirty four headed his two small ships across the great atlantic his company numbered only threescore souls in all favoured by steady winds his vessels made good progress and within three weeks he sighted the shores of newfoundland where he put into one of the many small harbours to rest and refit his ships then turning northward the expedition passed through the straits of belle isle and into the gulf of st lawrence coasting along the northern shore of the gulf for a short distance cartier headed his ships due southward keeping close to the western shore of the great island almost its whole length he then struck across the lower gulf and moving northward once more reached the bay des chaleurs on the sixth of july here the boats were sent to shore and the french were able to do a little trading with the indians about a week later cartier went northward once more and soon sought shelter from a violent gulf storm by anchoring in gaspe bay on the headland there he planted a great wooden cross with the arms of france the first symbol of bourbon dominion in the new land and the same symbol that successive explorers chanting the vexilla rages were in time to set aloft from the gulf of st lawrence to the gulf of mexico it was the augury of the white man's coming crossing next to the southerly shore of anticosti the voyageurs almost circled the island until the constant and adverse winds which cartier met in the gradually narrowing channel forced him to defer indefinitely his hope of finding a western passage and he therefore headed his ships back to belle isle it was now mid-august and the season of autumnal storms was drawing near cartier had come to explore to search for a westward route to the indies to look for precious metals not to establish a colony he accordingly decided to set sail for home and with favouring winds was able to reach st malo in the early days of september in one sense the voyage of fifteen hundred and thirty four had been a failure no stores of mineral wealth had been discovered and no short route to cipango or cathay yet the spirit of exploration had been awakened cartier's recital of his voyage had aroused the interest of both the king and his people so that the navigator's request for better equipment to make another voyage was readily granted on may nineteenth fifteen hundred and thirty five cartier once more set forth from st malo this time with three vessels and with a royal patent empowering him to take possession of new lands in his sovereign's name with cartier on this voyage there were over one hundred men of whom the majority were hardened maluans veterans of the sea how he found accommodation for all of them with supplies and provisions in three small vessels whose total burden was only two hundred and twenty tons is not least among the mysteries of this remarkable voyage 
the trip across the ocean was boisterous and the clumsy caravels had a hard time breasting the waves the ships were soon separated by alternate storms and fog so that all three did not meet at their appointed rendezvous in the straits of belle isle until the last week in july then moving westward along the north shore of the gulf they passed anticosti crossed to the gaspe shore circled back as far as the mingan islands and then resumed a westward course up the great river as the vessels stemmed the current but slowly it was well into september when they cast anchor before the indian village of stadacona which occupied the present site of lower quebec since it was now too late in the season to think of returning at once to france cartier decided to spend the winter at this point two of the ships were therefore drawn into the mouth of a brook which entered the river just below the village while the frenchman established acquaintance with the savages and made preparations for a trip farther up the river in the smallest vessel using as interpreters two young indians whom he had captured in the gaspe region during his first voyage in the preceding year cartier was able to learn from the indians at stadacona that there was another settlement of importance at hochelaga now montreal the navigator decided to use the remaining days of autumn in a visit to this settlement although the stadacona indians strenuously objected declaring that there were all manner of dangers and difficulties in the way with his smallest vessel and about half of his men cartier however made his way up the river during the last fortnight in september near the point where the largest of the st lawrence rapids bars the river gateway to the west the frenchman found hochelaga nestling between the mountain and the shore in the midst of goodly and large fields full of corn such as the country yieldeth the indian village which consisted of about fifty houses was encircled by three courses of palisades one within the other the natives received their visitors with great cordiality and after a liberal distribution of trinkets the french learned from them some vague snatches of information about the rivers and great lakes which lay to the westward where a man might travel on the face of the waters for many moons in the same direction but as winter was near cartier found it necessary to hurry back to stadacona where the remaining members of his expedition had built a small fort or habitation during his absence everything was made ready for the long season of cold and snow but the winter came on with unusual severity the neighbouring indians grew so hostile that the french hardly dared to venture from their narrow quarters supplies ran low and to make matters worse the pestilence of scurvy came upon the camp in february almost the entire company was stricken down and nearly one quarter of them had died before the emaciated survivors learned from the indians that the bark of a white spruce tree boiled in water would afford a cure the frenchmen dosed themselves with the indian remedy using a whole tree in less than a week but with such revivifying results that cartier hailed the discovery as a genuine miracle 
when spring appeared the remnant of the company now restored to health and vigour gladly began their preparations for a return to france there was no ardour among them for a further exploration of this inhospitable land as there were not enough men to handle all three of the ships they abandoned one of them whose timbers were uncovered from the mud-bank in eighteen hundred and forty three more than three centuries later before leaving stadacona however cartier decided to take donnacona the head of the village and several other indians as presents to the french king it was natural enough that the master pilot should wish to bring his sovereign some impressive souvenir from the new domains yet this sort of treachery and ingratitude was unpardonable donnacona and all these captives but one little indian maiden died in france and his people did not readily forget the lesson of european duplicity by july the expedition was back in the harbour of st malo and cartier was promptly at work preparing for the king a journal of his experiences cartier's account of his voyage which has come down to us contains many interesting details concerning the topography and life of the new land the maloan captain was a good navigator as seafaring went in his day a good judge of distance at sea and a keen observer of landmarks but he was not a discriminating chronicler of those things which we would now wish to understand for example the relationship and status of the various indian tribes with which he came into contact all manner of indian customs are superficially described particularly those which presented to the french the aspect of novelty but we are left altogether uncertain as to whether the indians of stadacona in cartier's time were of huron or iroquois or algonquin stock the navigator did not describe with sufficient clearness or with a due differentiation of the important from the trivial those things which ethnologists would now like to know it must have been a disappointment not to be able to lay before the king any promise of great mineral wealth to be found in the new territory while at hochelaga cartier had gleaned from the savages some vague allusions to sources of silver and copper in the far northwest but that was all he had not found a northern eldorado nor had his quest of a new route to the indies been a whit more fruitful cartier had set out with this as his main motive but had succeeded only in finding that there was no such route by way of the st lawrence though the king was much interested in his recital of courage and hardships he was not fired with zeal for spending good money in the immediate equipping of another expedition to these inhospitable shores not for five years after his return in fifteen hundred and thirty six therefore did cartier again set out for the st lawrence this time his sponsor was the sieur de roberval a nobleman of picardy who had acquired an ambition to colonize a portion of the new territory and who had obtained the royal endorsement of his scheme the royal patronage was not difficult to obtain when no funds were sought accordingly in fifteen hundred and forty roberval who was duly appointed viceroy of the country enlisted the assistance of cartier in carrying out his plans it was arranged that cartier with three ships should sail from st malo in the spring of fifteen hundred and forty one while roberval's part of the expedition should set forth at the same time from Enfleur but when may arrived roberval was not ready and cartier's ships set sail alone with the understanding that roberval would follow cartier in due course reached newfoundland where for six weeks he awaited his viceroy 
at length his patience exhausted he determined to push on alone to stadacona where he arrived toward the end of august the ships were unloaded and two of the vessels were sent back to france the rest of the expedition prepared to winter at cap rouge a short distance above the settlement once more cartier made a short trip up the river to hochelaga but with no important incidents and here the voyageur's journal comes to an end he may have written more but if so the pages have never been found henceforth the evidence as to his doings is less extensive and less reliable on his return he and his band seem to have passed the winter at cap rouge more comfortably than the first hibernation six years before for the french had now learned the winter hygiene of the northern regions the indians however grew steadily more hostile as the months went by and cartier fearing that his small following might not fare well in the event of a general assault deemed it wise to start for france when the river opened in the spring of fifteen hundred and forty two cartier set sail from quebec in may taking the southern route through the gulf he entered early in june the harbour of what is now st john's newfoundland there according to hacklet the breton navigator and his belated viceroy roberval anchored their ships side by side roberval who had been delayed nearly a year was now on his way to join cartier at quebec and had put into the newfoundland harbour to refit his ships after a stormy voyage what passed between the two on the occasion of this meeting will never be known with certainty we have only the brief statement that after a spirited interview cartier was ordered by his chief to turn his ships about and accompany the expedition back to quebec instead of doing so he spread his sails during the night and slipped homeward to st malo leaving the viceroy to his own resources there are difficulties in the way of accepting this story however although it is not absolutely inconsistent with the official records as some later historians seem to have assumed at any rate it was in no pleasant humour that roberval now proceeded to the st lawrence and up to cap rouge where he took possession of cartier's post sowed some grain and vegetables and endeavoured to prepare for the winter his company of followers having been recruited from the jails of france proved as unruly as might have been expected discipline and order could only be maintained by the exercise of great severity one of the malefactors was executed others were given the lash in generous measure the winter moreover proved to be terribly cold supplies ran low and the scurvy once again got beyond control if anything the conditions were even worse than those which cartier had to endure seven years before when spring arrived the survivors had no thought of anything but a prompt return to france but roberval bade most of them wait until with a small party he ventured a trip to the territory near what is now three rivers and the mouth of the saint maurice apparently the whole party made its way safely back to france before the autumn but as to how or when we have no record there is some evidence that cartier was sent out with a relief expedition in fifteen hundred and forty three but in any case both he and roberval were in france during the spring of the next year for they then appeared there in court to settle respective accounts of expenses incurred in the badly managed enterprise of cartier's later life little is known save that he lived at st malo until he died in fifteen hundred and fifty seven with the exception of his journals which cover only a part of his explorations none of his writings or maps has come down to us 
that he prepared maps is highly probable for he was an explorer in the royal service but diligent search on the part of antiquarians has not brought them to light his portrait in the town hall at st malo shows us a man of firm and strong features with jaws tight set a high forehead and penetrating eyes unhappily it is of relatively recent workmanship and as a likeness of the great malouin its trustworthiness is at least questionable fearless and untiring however his own indisputable achievements amply prove him to have been the tasks set before him were difficult to perform he was often in tight places and he came through unscathed as a navigator he possessed a skill that ranked with the best of his time he was an intrepid sailor soul if his voyages resulted in no permanent establishment that was not altogether cartier's fault he was sent out on his first two voyages as an explorer to find new trade routes or stores of gold and silver or a rich land to exploit on his third voyage when a scheme of colonization was in hand the failure of roberval to do his part proved the undoing of the entire plan there is no reason to believe that faint-heartedness or lack of courage had any place in cartier's sturdy frame for sixty years following the ill-starred ventures of fifteen hundred and forty one through fifteen hundred and forty two no serious attempts were made to gain for france any real footing in the regions of the st lawrence this is not altogether surprising for there were troubles in plenty at home huguenots and catholics had ranged themselves in civil strife the wars of the fronde were convulsing the land and it was not until the very end of the sixteenth century that france settled down to peace within her own borders norman and breton fishermen continued their yearly trips to the fishing banks but during the whole latter half of the sixteenth century no vessel so far as we know ever made its way beyond the saguenay some schemes of colonization without official support were launched during this interval but in all such cases the expeditions set forth to warmer lands to brazil and to florida in neither direction however did any marked success attend these praiseworthy examples of private initiative the great valley of the st lawrence during these six decades remained a land of mystery the navigators of europe still clung to the vision of a westward passage whose eastern portal must be hidden among the bays or estuaries of this silent land but none was bold or persevering enough to seek it to the end as for the great continent itself europe had not the slightest inkling of what it held in store for future generations of mankind End of chapter 2